tax tax, which is always exciting. GST reform. That's a great idea. Um, more efficient tax. Due diligence now. Hello, everyone, and welcome. You're listening to the Taxpayers Australia Tax Wrap podcast, episode 24 this week. My name is Nathan Hewitt, and we're joined by Letty, Lisa, and Andy. How are we doing, guys? Oh, good. Thanks, Nathan. Nathan. That's great to hear. Now, panellists, this week, I've got a brand new smartphone. It's been a couple of years since I upgraded, and it's great to be in the 21st century. (laughs) (laughs) But with it comes a a host of new worlds, I guess, uh, to me. I mean... It's been the case for a while that your smartphone contains things like a camera, uh, a calculator even. Call waiting's a big deal. But now I can jump on my smartphone and access uh, new technologies and new markets such as Uber. Um, I can book an Uber to take me to the airport. And then once I've flown to, say, Sweden, I can use that very same smartphone to book a, a hotel room or a room through Airbnb. Stay with a complete stranger, and that's all organised through my smartphone. Now, I don't know about you guys, that's a pretty incredible thing that we can do that in this day and age. Now, I bring this up because whenever we talk about disruptive technologies and innovations in a tax environment, um, tax law or discussion about tax law and how it lags behind will inevitably follow. So that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast, just how tax law is yet to catch up with um, technology and commercial developments. So... Andy, uh, let's talk about some examples of disruptive, disruptive technologies and innovations. Sorry, so we've got the smartphone. What are some others? Yeah, I mean, one of the things, uh, Nathan, is you know the onset of Netflix recently uh, was an example of uh, some new type of technology out there. Now we can, I mean, it's not something that's this definitely uh, old. We've been downloading stuff more recently like music and, and so forth but the the onset of Netflix in terms of people being able now to download movies or to stream movies in the comfort of their own home watch binge on their favorite TV <laughs> shows like you know your big game of Thrones uh, fan definitely am that brings with it a lot of uh, implications for example Netflix Australia um, currently in the way that the GST law works doesn't have to charge GST to its customers mm. so that's one way Nathan of sort of where Sometimes the tax law might not necessarily follow or uh, actually lags the, the actual changes um, in, in our environment. It makes me... It's a little bit close to home to think that I might soon have to pay GST for Netflix. I might soon have to pay more for Netflix, rather. But I guess it's just a really good example of how um, tax law needs to catch up with um, emerging markets as well. So, Letty, what are some um, sort of emerging markets as part of this big sharing economy thing that we need to start uh, or the tax law needs to start catching up with? Sure. Well, you've mentioned two of the most famous examples in the world today, Uber and Airbnb. And for all those listeners, as a reminder that Uber is like a taxi service whereby mm-hmm. uh, people who own cars, you, you can you can book them online to uh, to drive you somewhere. And Airbnb, if, if your apartment is going to be empty for a month, you might as well make a bit of money by renting it out Absolutely. To someone who wants to holiday there, such as Nathan, going to Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the concept of paying for transportation services or taxi services or the concept of paying for accommodation services, they're not new and novel concepts. They're not, it's not even new technology. Mm-hmm. But what is new about it is that it is now part of what we call the sharing economy, mm-hmm. where people take what they already have, whether it be cars, whether it be their own homes, um, and they share it. For revenue, mm-hmm. and 
And while Uber and Airbnb are the most famous examples, there's a lot of these sorts of uh, businesses popping up all over the world in local communities. Um, people, uh, just the other day I heard on the radio about a um, car sharing service because a lot of people might catch public transport to work and so they might use the car once a week, once a fortnight, once a month. Mm. Uh, and so they might as well rent out that car or, or the um, car parking spaces that they own but they don't use. Gee, that's quite interesting, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, so these entrepreneurs, these, these ordinary everyday people um, using what they already have to, to make a bit of money, that's great. But under our tax laws, if you're, if you're deriving ordinary income or if you're considered to be running some sort of a business, even if it's not your main source of income or your main s- source of work, uh, you should be taxed on that revenue. Mm-hmm. And so what the difficulty now is, is, is not the fact that the tax law doesn't contemplate people running businesses or earning income. The difficulty is how do we apply it? How, how do we say in these sorts of um, businesses, look, many questions arise. Um, who should be the relevant taxpayer mm-hmm. to look at? Should it be um, the person who owns the home or the person who owns the car or should it be the uh, intermediary being Uber or Airbnb mm. or should it be both? And the other question is a lot of these things, especially with something like Airbnb, um, there's a lot of international transactions. So once you've decided which taxpayer to look at, you also have to decide what's the country of the source of the <laughs> yeah. income. So Nathan, you go to Sweden for your holiday, so is the source um, going to be Sweden? Or if the owner doesn't actually live in Sweden, would the source actually be yeah. where the owner lives? Or who, who knows? That's the question, isn't it? Yeah, and actually when you're looking at it now, is there's not as much um, input, any assets and things that people need anymore. Oh. So people can basically run these businesses out of Absolutely. their bedroom and things yeah. like that. So you're having these you know, 12 to 15 year old entrepreneurs that can run these businesses, Nathan. Yeah. So what it is, is even though I think we looked up that um, Uber and Airbnb came around in like 2008, 2009. So, so they've been around for a while, but as it gains momentum, yeah. It's then like, well, what do we do now that it's 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 large? Yeah. Like as Letty was saying about GST, we all know that seventy five thousand dollar threshold of when you have to be registered. But you know, you can anticipate how how can you anticipate how quick this business is, is going to take off? Yeah. And it can take off overnight with just you know between LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and those sort of things. It can really speed yes. up very quickly. But then you think of how many uh, technologies and innovations and commercial ideas don't actually take off. Mm. So. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and Nathan, that's where the tax office is to some extent struggling. They're, they're having to identify some of these markets and say, well, look, how do we think the tax law will apply to some of yeah. these circumstances? And there are some circumstances, for example, where the law, as we talked about a little bit earlier, has not caught up with the commercial reality or the technological change. And, you know, we've talked about this before in uh, past podcasts, but Bitcoin is one example of that where the the tax office has given uh, some specific parameters in terms of how the law works and they've got to try and come up with a solution as to how this Bitcoin should be treated for tax purposes. Is it foreign currency? Is it an asset? And so this is where the law lags and a legislative fix would... Uh, give people a lot more certainty. Yes. Mm. Because obviously when the law was written in a law of circumstances, it was in it was decades ago. A lot of our tax laws are written decades ago yeah. and it it contemplated um very 
a tangible world yeah. with much fewer international transactions and almost no digital transactions. Yeah. Yeah. And so all the, the concepts that are involved in a lot of the laws that we have today, and not just in tax, outside of tax as well, it just doesn't necessarily work well with the way that we live life these days. Mm -hmm. And just going back to the Bitcoin example, um, while foreign currency is not an unusual concept, the laws are written in the days where where foreign currency was basically when a different gov foreign government issues hard money. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens with, it's not just Bitcoin, but other emerging sorts of uh, currencies or, or other methods of trade. Um, and, and this is where it, it gets even more difficult because tax law in a large part will also rely on other laws. So, Gee. so even in case of Bitcoin, there's a, you know, the Currency Act and everything. So it's quite a labyrinth really, isn't it? Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, let me give you another example, uh, Nathan, of how the laws change or sometimes the law, case law has to catch up with the modern world. Um, for example, you know, we traditionally think of share traders as, you know, sitting in their office, uh, calling up their stockbroker, putting through their orders and uh, hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. um, but these days, you know, all your share trading can be done online. You can hop onto your, your smartphone and, you know, two seconds later you've, you've made a trade. And, you know, there was one particular case a couple of years ago where the uh, Administrative Appeals Tribunal, you know, said, to the, said that this gentleman is actually conducting a share trading business. He's not an investor. He has a mobile phone. And the term that they use, which was quite an uh, interesting term, is that his office now moves with him. Really? Yeah, his office now moves with him. And so that changes the notion of what constitutes an office now yeah you know you don't have to ha be set in one place you can be anywhere at any time and still be conducting your share trading business and the point is that no one ever saw this coming that's correct you yeah. could never see this coming something or, like that. or what it does is it it, it upsets uh, you know your conventional ways of looking at the law you mm. know? and and this is one of those uh, things that you know, the law will have to try to, whether through case law or through legislation, try to adapt to the way that we're living. Okay. So what will happen is that there'll be a test case on this new technology sure. that someone will just sort of invest their time okay. and energy in. Because we're then relying on the application of case law a lot of times to actually apply the tax fundamentals that have been around since 1936. Yeah. And that's really what we're looking at here. Yeah. So if and I can take you back to the Airbnb example just quickly. Say that I've got a rental property. Um, or say that my main residence, maybe even, oh, no, we'll, we'll say a rental property for the purposes of, of my example. Um, say I let out uh, my rental property to a tenant for a two-year period. Um, now, the income that I received from that rental property would be counted as ordinary income and added to my accessible income, correct? That's correct, yes. Now, the issue with Airbnb is that it doesn't fit into traditional rental style arrangements necessarily. So in, in the instance where um, you, it may be your main residence and you may have an Airbnb staying in a room of your house um, and then you'd have to apportion the floor space and, and, and whatever else to, to make sure that's part of it. But the issue is, is that it's not clear whether it's part of um, it's Canada's ordinary income. Is that the issue? Um, not necessarily. I, I think Nathan, it's to some extent, it's more, uh, um, you know, an informational thing. Some people don't necessarily know whether they need to, for example, uh, include that income in their accessible income in the first place. So okay. it's, sometimes it's an informational thing. Yeah. Um, other instances, it may be the case as to whether they need to, 
are they the one that needs to be registered to, for GST? Do they need to charge GST? So there's some of the questions that come out of these, these uh, new uh, emerging markets. You, mm -hmm. know, you know, who's responsible for what? Who's paying the tax? Um, yeah. Who yes. has those obligations? And so they're the things that, you know, create a lot of that uh, confusion out there in the marketplace. And part of the role of the tax office is to, to inform uh, those people who enter into these transactions, no different to eBay a couple of years ago, that so these are some of the ob obligations and responsibilities that you need to, to keep up with. Okay. Yeah, because to some extent we've got back to the older days of a bartering technology to some extent. Mm. It's like, you know, if someone gives you cash, do you actually clear it enough? Mm. Of course you're meant to. Yeah. But, you know, if your Airbnb person says, oh, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you dinner tonight and, you know, you can pay for dinner yeah. the next night, that's sort of like a bartering arrangement, Nathan. Yep. So that's sort of, you know, where we're getting getting back to. And then to what extent would it constitute business? If um, I have a spare room in my house and I think, oh, yeah, I'd like to meet holiday makers from all around the world, I'll <laughs> rent out my room now and again, to what extent would it then constitute a business? So apart from the question of... Uh, whether I include the income in ordinary income, which I probably would have to, but if it constitutes a business, then there are other implications that arise. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And then how does the tax office collect that money is the other issue. Especially from overseas people. Well, if it's part of your main residence, if you've apportioned that floor space, say you, you rented it out for one weekend as part of a two-year um, thing, that would be exempt from the main residence exemption You have to, if, if you were to apportion that correctly. Is that is that right? or? Yes. I mean, some portions of your home will be exempt from uh, CGT or the a portion of that capital gain or loss is disregarded. But mm. uh, for the portion that you actually do use to derive income, what people don't necessarily know sometimes is that at the time that they sell that property, they'll, they'll be liable to uh, some capital gains on that. So, you know, there are all the implications, Nathan, that, um, you know, some people, you know, people don't necessarily think about when, when they start doing these sorts of uh, activities and, yeah. you know... Um, it's one of those things that it's more getting that information out there so that people are informed and, uh, and are uh, correctly follow, um, following the law and, uh, and then their tax obligations. So Andy, what about eBay? Yeah, with eBay, eBay's been around for a while. I know Lady does Long a little time. bit yes. of shopping. Yes. Yes. Does. And oh, we all like to at work. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, is where, this is where technology has made life easier and probably a bit more expensive. Um, <laughs> you're talking about shopping at work? No, no, I'm talking about <laughs> shopping outside of business hours where the shops are closed and you can buy your clothes, your food, Boutique on your smartphone. Yes, on your smartphone, on, yes, your on, smartphone, smartphone. On, on the eBay app. Um, buy anything you want, basically, um, whether it be through eBay or through some other online trader. And and while it has been around for a while, while uh, the law is still, once again, is still trying to catch up, um, with how you actually tax these transactions. And once again, it goes back to the fundamentals, especially with something like eBay. Um, sellers can be based all over the world, could be selling to anyone all over the world. And the computer server hosting eBay is in all different parts of the world as well. Um, and, and also, once people start selling prolifically on eBay, they have to determine, once again, are they a business? Uh, and at the and just very recently, in the past week or two, um, the ATO has released a notice of its data matching program with eBay. Now it's done this for a couple of years now, but what it's basically going to do is uh, get data from eBay Australia um, to look at online traders who have derived revenue of at least ten thousand dollars in the past year. And now that doesn't mean that if you've sold a whole lot of um, high high turnover items 
you're going to get into trouble with the API. They just go to look at your affairs. Okay. In previous years, the threshold was $20,000, and now they've actually dropped the threshold to $10,000 okay. because it's just so commonplace to basically run a business um, from the comfort of your bedroom after you do your 95 jobs. Yeah. It's not quite because yeah. you don't have to put any assets into it. You just put up That's a page right. on yeah, eBay. And it can be yeah. us it selling our garage sale items sure. or it could be, you know, someone selling, you know, a real re retail um, outlet that they yeah. just don't have retail now. They sort of sell it as wholesale so sure. they don't have a shop yeah. front. And yeah. the, con the concern, I suppose, for the ATO and the government would be that if you rent a shop somewhere in a shopping centre and you sell those things, you're probably very likely to be paying tax on it, doing tax returns and things, whereas if you're just selling things every night while you sleep, basically, you might think that you don't need to pay tax on it, or you might not understand that you're actually running a business and mm. there are tax implications from that. And that's why they have to look at uh, these traders. Yeah, and I, I guess one thing, Nathan, is later down the track when these uh, emerging uh, emerging uh, um, markets, such as the sharing economy, such as the Ubers and the Airbnb, we'll probably start to see some similar sort of data matching activity down sure. track to make sure that those who are, um, you know, uh, undertaking some of those activities are, uh, you know, are not being, uh, looked at a little bit more closely as well. So. Okay. So in closing, uh, disruptive technologies and innovations by nature are always going to be uh, around. I mean, things are always going to be disrupting. Um, things are always going to change. Yeah, the old sort of, uh, the new replaces the old rather. Yep. Do you ever see the tax law um, operating in any other way than in an ad hoc sort of way in relation to this? Do you, do you see the, there being any sort of predictive abilities to see where things are going in future or? We wonder whether the government will ever get a crystal ball. That's the, <laughs> if that's only, really hey. the question. Yeah, I, I think under the law we do have some general principles, you know, in terms of accessible income and, and your deductions. But in terms of things that you can't necessarily anticipate, you know, Bitcoin, we keep on going to Bitcoin as one example. There, there are areas where the government needs to react very quickly because it is something that uh, you can't necessarily have a, you know, you can't rely on the law as it stands and you do need a legislative fix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that pretty much wraps things up for Tax Rate episode 24. Uh, tune in for episode 25 next week. And as always, if you have any questions that you'd like to pose to the panel, please reach out to us on our social media uh, forums or at podcast at taxpayer.com.au. Thanks. Thanks. See ya. Thank you.